0: Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. Today, my guest is Santa Barbara's premier journalist, one of my mentors, Jerry Roberts. How are you today? I'm
1: fine. How are you doing?
0: Thanks for being on the show. I want to dive right in and sort of talk to you about what I've been really impressed with is your Newsmakers with JR Blog. You've done a really great job at defining your own media space in town, and you've been really influential in making a difference in politics. People read you. You have your TV show that people watch. Talk to me a little bit about how that came to be and what you see your role being in this media landscape.
1: Well, just, you know, to little chronologically, uh, I came to Santa Barbara in 2002 to be the editor of the Santa Barbara News Press, of which, of course, where we worked together and met each other. Um, And that all sort of imploded around 2006. I was out of the newspaper business at the same time that the newspaper business was really starting to decline. So I started looking around for ways to use my skills and interests um, uh, in in ways that might be a little more technologically advanced. Um, I did a a website uh, with a a friend, another political writer called Calbuzz for a while, and then uh, in 2016, we started. Uh, 2017, we started the NewsBakers blog. 2015, we started the TV show. And uh, you know, in the absence of a single dominant media voice, and this is true in towns all over, not just here, um, you know, we've kind of lost that public square aspect of talking about politics and media and policy. And so, I just, you know, really was looking for a way to contribute to the conversation. And I think the you know, as you know, people. Some people read NewsHawk. Some people read the Independent. Some people read Ed Hat. Um, and I wanted to first of all bring the reporters together, which is what I did on the on the TV show, uh, and kind of have a place where people could listen to conversation of people who were making the news. And then the uh, the blog kind of grew out of that.
0: What sort of impact do you think you've had in the community? What do, you, what do you hear from people when they read one of your stories or they watch the show? What do they tell you?
1: Well, you know, I'm not in the daily news business, so I don't cover a lot of events. I, I kind of am more like a dog with a bone where I get onto to something and I really uh, try to cover it in depth and at some length. So I think in the mayor's race in 2017, you know, we paid for a real professional poll, um, which I think had some impact um, on the uh, on the outcome of that race. And then I think, you know, the other reporters, I, I just try to make it fun for other reporters who are coming along. So I hopefully it, you know, kind of increases the amount and quality of coverage across the board. Um, you know, the school board, when I saw the school board, it was getting into some issues uh, Two years ago, you know, I kind of stayed on that story for a couple of years, and lo and behold, we're getting a new superintendent. So, uh, I try to have um, areas where there's a lot of interest. Obviously, I you know check my analytics and see what people are reading and what people are interested in, and then uh, you know just stick with that. And and it has to be something that I'm really interested in, which is mostly politics. So I do a lot of campaigns.
0: I've always been struck with your big picture sweep. Your take on things. I think in Santa Barbara, a lot of journalists can get sort of caught up in just writing for the people in Santa Barbara, but not necessarily looking at how things are working from a broader perspective, comparing it to other communities. Your experience in San Francisco is probably a big part of that. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you approach the news and what is newsworthy and how you write about something based off of your background and your experience?
1: In San Francisco, we were covering nine counties. We were a very large regional paper. And so whenever we had a story from San Francisco itself or Oakland or any smaller community, um, you know, we kind of had to explain why it would matter to all of our readers. So I try to look at stories, you know, in two ways. One, you know, what does it mean to me as a you know person living in the in the neighborhood on the west side or the east side, and also how does this connect to sort of larger trends or things that are going on in the country and the world, um, and and so make those connections and try to put it together. You know, a lot of the, for example, controversies that we've had on the school board that you've covered, uh, you know, ethnic studies and uh, uh, implicit bias training and uh, the GATE program. You know, they're not just happening here. They're happening all over California and they're happening uh, all across the country. And so I, you know, I spend a lot of time, much too much time uh, on online reading things from all over. I read real broadly. Um, and then when I find something that kind of piques my interest I, I try to find connections to it that are that are happening uh, in other places
0: what was your take on the media landscape when you first came here from San Francisco what was the media doing right what what was it doing wrong
1: well I think you know it, it, it was a very traditional media landscape in that there was a dominant morning daily newspaper that had been here for a long time, that everybody in town read, that everybody sort of had a particular or a similar frame of reference to set of facts uh, that really set the the tone and, and set the agenda to a certain extent for the town and for the county, because... What did we have? We had 65 people in the newsroom at that time. Hmm. So, you know, we had somebody who covered nothing but the Santa Barbara School Board day in and day out. and, And you covered City Hall. And we had somebody at the county. So there was a lot of service in a sense being done by the by the paper uh, by having reporters sit in those meetings and yeah you can sit in a meeting for eight hours and maybe you don't get a story but you find out background and find out what's going on so i thought the you know the paper um did a real good job with that uh, with breaking news whether it was a a fire or um, uh, murder or anything of that category and there wasn't a lot of other media there you know the independent was there but i think the Independent at that time really saw itself uh, as, an, as the alternative paper, as the alternative to the morning paper. And, you know, KYT, there were, wasn't a real strong uh, radio thing. But I, I think after the meltdown and after the decline of the um, industry as a whole, you know, what we, we're, we're kind of like a little Petri dish of media here in Santa Barbara. Um, you know, if you've got NewsHawk, I think The Independent has stepped up somewhat um, to uh, to take on more of a daily news role. You've had, you know, a series of blogs. You have Ed Hat. Uh, you have My thing. So people now can't go to necessarily one source and find out everything they need to know about living in their community. They have to graze a little bit more. So uh, I think, you know, right now uh, Santa Barbara is a really interesting example of a, of a of a human-scale town where you're seeing a lot of uh, media experimentation going on. And news consumers are trying to figure out, you know, between that and their social media. And, of course, that's been probably the biggest change um, since that time is, you know, Facebook and um, uh, Twitter and, and Instagram and people sort of curating the news very specifically for themselves. Um, You know, people are trying to figure out what they want to be informed about and how they're going to be informed about
0: it. What I really enjoy about your news blog is you do it in a way where it's really funny. It's it's humorous and there are a lot of good elements to it. You might, instead of writing a traditional news story, you will talk about the winners and losers or you'll have sort of a top 10 or like key takeaways or the state of play and you really take out the heart of what people care about. You're really amplifying the, the context of it. But then you've got the the most funny little graphics and videos and you know images. Tell me a little bit about how you construct newsmakers with AR and how do you start? Do you start with a blank page and just sort of figure it out as you go, or do you have a plan every morning?
1: Um, I think a couple things. You know, my hero and my journalistic model is the late uh, San Francisco Chronicle columnist Herb Kane. You know, he was the He just told everybody what it meant to live in that town. And he was, you know, one part reporter and one part humorist and, you know, one part settling his scores and and a lot of things. But everybody read him because it made you feel like you were part of the town, like you kind of were behind the scenes and and got to know a little bit uh, about what was going on. A lot of names in there and so on. So, you know, I, I think I look at my blog as a as a column. Uh, and as a, but a reported column, it's not just I'm not just throwing out, you know, opinions out there about the uh, trade pacts and things. I, I, I do a lot of reporting. So I try to do a combination of analysis and commentary. And then once in a while, if I get a little scoop, I play the hell out of that. Um, I also have a real tabloid sensibility. I mean, I admit that, and and I love tabloids. I love the New York tabloids and those kind of headlines, so I do that. You know, I usually write the headline first because I help that I think that helps really focus my thinking and and tell me what it what it is I want to write. I try to write in sort of um, chunks of material. You know, people I write long. I mean, I you know, fifteen hundred words is not unusual for me to do. But I try to break it up into sections, both visually um and also in terms of uh you know different uh, thoughts so each time I do one of those sections I try to look for um some art to put with it and uh you know I just love going on the internet and finding goofy art and finding stuff and it just makes stuff that makes me laugh I I put in there and it doesn't necessarily make everyone laugh but yeah I, I I try to I try to do that um But then, you know, as we talked about before, you know, why do I care about this? You know, you know, Josh, from your teaching, uh, you know, the most maybe the most second most important thing in any journalism story is the nut graph. You know, why are you telling me this now? Why do I care? So I try to get that up high in the top third or fourth paragraph so that people kind of understand, you know, why this matters or why they should bother and then sometimes i'll just do goofy stuff and and write satire as well so it's a combination of things but basically i've always wanted to write a column i you know i wrote a political column for a number of years which was you know pretty restricted in the in the language and and what you had to do in terms of attributing stuff to other people but now i'm of an age and i feel like my experience professionally in my life experience that I'm able to just get to my own voice more. So that's really what it is.
0: And you have TVSB as a platform for your Newsmakers which AR show. And um, I know when I'm fortunate enough to be a guest on the show that I get a lot of feedback. People come up to me and they say something about how uh, what I said on the show and they have a perspective on it. Um, how do the two interact with each other? Is is one more important than the other? Or how are they compatible? And h- how did you sort of figure out this way of using these two platforms uh, platforms to tell these stories?
1: Well, it started with the TV and, uh, you know, again, wanting to be part of the conversation. The the, the idea that Hap Freund, my partner and I, um, who produces the show, had was that it would be like a news meeting. And as you know, you know, news meetings, people are just cracking wise and they're making dark humor and, you know, not necessarily taking everything seriously. And they're also talking about a lot of stuff that never makes it into the paper, which is the kind of how do you get the story or what did you have to do to get the story? What were some funny things? Mm -hmm. So that was the sensibility I tried to bring to that. And I thought, you know, along with serious analysis and what does it mean and where's it going next? So that people who, the, the people that the show was aimed at were, were people who kind of already knew the who what where why of the stories and this was getting a little more uh, at the behind the scenes and the, you know how did this come together so coming off of that um uh the blog actually started as a uh, as a just a marketing tool uh that we wanted to get you know kind of expand the viewership for the for the show, um, and then it just happened that we re- we launched it uh, at the beginning of the 2017 mayor's race, and, you know, I've covered politics for 40 years, and, you know, I just I can't help myself. So I, <laughs> I just kind of jumped into yeah. into that race and, and did write pretty much every day, which was insane, um, my wife will assure me, uh, at that point. Um, and so it became, you know, a different... Uh, a product, a different uh, take on my own news sensibility, my sensibility on the news and the personalities who make it. And it was really two two ways because the politics was a piece of it, but the the media is really important. And again, in this kind of fractured media landscape we have, I do – try to curate everything locally. So, you know, I'll link to your stuff and I'll link to the independent stuff and sometimes I'll link to Hat, And, and I, I try to put a lot of hyperlinks into it uh, so that if people want to know, you know, the basics or they want to know more about it, they, they can go there. So it's kind of like my own little daily newspaper, I guess, in a way of uh, collecting material and putting it out there.
0: Santa Barbara has, has changed a lot. In, in many ways, particularly in the last sort of five years, you know, we've seen uh, the Amazon effect and we've seen downtown suffer with the retail uh, storefront vacancies. Um, and, you know, we've seen a lack of media p- p- applying regular coverage of, of all of these issues. What are some of the issues that are coming up that you think journalists need to do a better job of covering it? You know, it's not because journalists aren't Doing their job. It's just everybody's so fragmented and everybody's spread so thin. What are the things journalists need to do in this town?
1: You know, I, we, my wife and I moved to San Francisco in 1971, and it was still a very human scale town. And there was a debate that went on for 30 years about what is San Francisco going to become, and the people who kind of wanted to keep things, you know, in in a low key, uh, said, you know. the economic interests were trying to Manhattanize San Francisco. And that's exactly what has now happened. And I think the tech industry and what's happened since the tech industry began to use San Francisco as a headquarters largely has been an extra dollop on that. Um, So, you know, I think the fundamental issues, well, there's a couple. One is wealth disparity, Certainly in Santa Barbara, very, very wealthy people and also uh, people who are really struggling to get by. In fact, I think uh, Santa Barbara County has the second or third largest wealth gap in, uh, in, in America. And uh, with that, we also have tremendous demographic change in who the population is and where the populations come from and, and what's happening with that. And then you have this sort of uh transformation of the global economy and, you know, the decline of retail. So those kind of mega trends I think can often get lost, you know, in a debate about a particular housing project or a particular project downtown. But I think Santa Barbara really is, I mean it's a cliche, but really is kind of at a crossroads. You know, what is the city gonna be? Is it gonna continue to be this very elegant beach town with elements of funkiness to it, or is it the sensibility that's governed since the 1924-25 earthquake, uh, the Grace, uh, Grace, what's her name, um, Pearl Chase, uh, Tom Stork, uh, you know, people, that view of, this, of, of the city, is that going to happen? And I think the housing thing, I think you do a great job on housing and development, issues, and I think better than anybody else, try to explain what's at stake in these things. And, you know, when was it, 1994 or something? There was a vote in Santa Barbara. So what do you want the population population? to be. And, you know, it was going to be 85,000. That was it. We weren't going to have any more. Well, we have all these debates about economic development and about housing and so on. But I think that fundamental question gets lost a lot. What resources do we have, whether it's water or uh, infrastructure, transportation, to uh, accommodate a population of what size? And, you know, yeah, we can't build a gate around Santa Barbara, but it is a town with a very human scale, and I think that's what a lot of people are concerned is is, is going to be lost if we have a big infusion in of tech and we begin building, uh, you know, multi-story uh, housing developments and so on. And, and it's a political debate, and it's, uh, you know, is, is the city for people who live here now or is the city uh, for p- people who would like to be here or stay here, and, you know, that's kind of a crude way of saying it, but that's that's ultimately what our politics comes down to.
0: I remember in the mayor mayoral campaign, you would ask that question, what should Santa Barbara's ideal population be? And I remember most of the candidates not having a clue how to answer that. And it's no, such they, a basic question.
1: They hadn't thought about it. And, and, and that's what I mean in, in the kind of daily debate of, that we have about a specific projects and, and trying to sort of segment off, oh, this is a, an issue about housing. Well, if it's about housing, it's about employment. It's about, it's about all of these things. And, and I don't see that we have right now any visionary political thinkers at City Hall who are trying to set that course or even invite the question city government particularly tends to go along driven by the bureaucracy, Um, you know, and that's the way the charter set it up. We have a weak mayor form of government. But I do think that there needs to be people who have some accountability to the voters, to the taxpayers, who begin to have that conversation and say, this is where we want to go. And I think there's an opportunity for particularly young politicians coming up to be able to do that, because otherwise we're going to, you know, have the bureaucracy that does a very good job of managing the status quo, um, but isn't really looking 25 years down the road about what the city's going to gonna become.
0: Talk to me a little bit of how you deal with some of the people in the community who think you have an agenda or think you're biased or, you know, as we know as journalists, it's usually just people who just don't like your coverage, but it has nothing to do with anything else. But how do you handle that?
1: Well, um, you know, I mean that's part of that goes with the territory and um you know, I, I just remember coming here and being struck at the at the morning paper when uh when I was the editor there about how proprietary people were about the paper and about the town and, and about their own views. People are well informed here and they're very um um they're very opinionated about it. I mean, I try to listen to people. I, I really don't have a, a political agenda. Um, I, I, I suppose politically I would identify myself as sort of a center left. I'm no party preference, but I, you know I'm basically sort of a moderate person who thinks that Change is, you know, made by setting audacious goals, but then by doing it incrementally and, and kind of using our, our system. So, um, you know, I try to talk to people from all stripes, you know, uh, w- whether it's a conservative like James Fankner, um, who I thought, you know, was raising a lot of very good points at the school board about public education. Um, uh, you know, obviously I know a lot of liberals. I, I, I get along with a lot of of people, but there's other issues too, you know. I, I, I just one thing that I am biased about, and, I, and I'll admit this, is that these local uh, government, the city council, and the board of supervisors, and the school board are supposed to be under the Constitution of California, and I think best run as non partisan bodies. In other words, that there's a pragmatic approach to it, that people don't have a political agenda or a political platform that they're bringing into other than, you know, what's the best thing to do for the most people and how do we protect the taxpayer dollars? And I think over the last, really, 20 years, I think that that's really been transformed where you see the Democratic Party has, and I don't fault them for this. I mean, this is what parties do, but they've carried out a long-term strategy of taking over every one of those seats. Um, And I think that the uh, things have gotten a little out of balance in terms of, I don't see a lot of people who are there talking about, well, what about Taxpayers. What about property taxpayers? What are, you know, our sales tax, people who pay sales tax, getting what they want. And obviously, you know, with the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party believes that government exists to uh, to help the the less fortunate, and uh, the ways and means of doing that have have to do with uh, uh, economic redistribution. I'm not sure that we're really looking down the road enough about the cost of pensions and the cost of Uh, various programs, and figuring out a way on both sides, not just cutting programs, but also on revenues, uh, of continuing to do that. At the same time, we, and and here I think City Hall really falls short, create a landscape and create an environment that is welcoming to low-impact business uh, that is going to sustain the tax base of the city, you know, into the next uh, 40 or 50 years. I mean, Amazon has done it to retail. And that's a huge difference since when I got here. We had a very, very vibrant downtown retail district. And uh, it's just, it's going away. And I don't think we've answered, begun to answer the question of what's next.
0: Where did you get your journalistic training? I know you're a Harvard graduate, but tell me a little bit about how you fell in love with journalism and decided you were going to do these things. I mean, somebody of your... Skill set and knowledge—you probably could have done a lot of things. Uh, why'd you choose journalism?
1: Well, I always liked to write. I was a sports uh, editor of my uh, uh, high school paper, and then when I went to college, I had to work all the time, so I, I kind of uh, didn't do it for a while, and. I was casting about. I was doing a lot of writing, but I was trying to write fiction. This is when I was 20, 21 years old or something. And it was very, very bad. Uh, it was it was so bad. Um, and so, you know, I just sort of posed the question to myself, well, how can I how can I get paid for writing? So I actually just took a couple of courses at adult ed in San Francisco, and I got some things published. And then I caught on at the alternative paper in San Francisco, um, the The Bay Guardian. And it was great because... Uh, You can work as hard as you want and they'll just take it. And I got to do a lot of different things. I got to cover politics and I got to cover development and I got to write travel stories. And it was just, you know, I was just felt passionate. I just like going out and finding stuff out that people don't know about and also connecting the dots and then telling people about it. I, I, I'm not a good person to keep secrets, so I, I, I just—I like doing that. So based on my work there for a couple of years, I caught on at the Chronicle um, at a time when the city had just moved to a district elections uh, political system. So there were a lot of people in the neighborhoods who were running for office, the Board of Supervisors and Mayor, who the—you know, the, the Chronicle at that time was very, very— uh, stodgy Republican institutional. So they they didn't actually know who these people were. So they hired me on to do that. And, you know, I covered George Moscone and Harvey Milk and uh, uh, Jim Jones and Dan White and uh, all of those stories. It was just a great, great news town uh, as a general assignment reporter, city hall reporter. Then I was an editor for a while. I worked on the city desk for about five years. And that's when I got really fast and also began to be able to just recognize holes in a story. Because I was, you know, editing 10, 12 stories a day, a lot of them for the front page. So you had to be fast. And it really improved my writing. So then when I went back to reporting in 1987 as the political editor, um, I had, I had you know, done by that time, I don't know, 10 years of training of, of both writing and editing on, on the job. And uh, I've always been a political junkie. So I love that that beat as well.
0: Yeah. So, what's the biggest story you've ever worked on?
1: Probably the um, the City Hall murder uh, assassinations in mm-hmm. 1978, George mm-hmm. Moscone and, and Harvey Milk. I had, uh, as I say, I had covered that district election. Campaign and Dan White was one of, as I recall, thirteen people from District Eight, and it was this collection of blue-collar, mostly white, Catholic neighbor um, neighborhoods that had been kind of forgotten. You know, didn't really have a voice at City Hall, and Dan was a uh, cop and then a fireman, and uh, he was angry. He was angry about the uh, influx of gay people at that time into San Francisco. So that set of elections, because Harvey Milk was running at the same time, you know, you could now, in retrospect, you know, sort of see all of the simmering cultural and social and economic conflicts that were going on. And then, uh, you know, Dan became a source of mine at City Hall. And, uh, you know, I knew Harvey very well. I'd covered him. And I had Covered the mayor for the Bay Guardian, and then so that assassination, and and it followed by ten days the Jonestown murder suicide, uh. and I knew Jones as well. He was someone who was a, a major figure in in in, the, in local politics in nineteen seventy. So,
0: so, you had interviewed him. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He was a strange guy. In fact, we <laughs> we were on strike against the Bay Guardian uh, at one point in nineteen seventy six, and Jones sent a whole. Busload of supporters down to join our picket line, and, and he, he was just a strange man. But so there was that, and then you know, out of that, Diane Feinstein, who had lost uh, campaigns for mayor twice, and was about to get out of politics. In fact, the morning of George's assassination, she was in the press room and said. She, she was asked, "Are you going to run again?" Because she had there was an election coming up. She said, "No, she was getting out of politics." So, you know, she obviously arose out of that, and, and that's why she's a very fatalistic person. So, I I covered her for many years, and um, as a candidate, as a supervisor, as a mayor, and uh, wrote a book about her. Um, and tried to tell the story of San Francisco of that era from from the perspective of her as a as a major figure in it. Um, so, you know, kind of all of those things collectively, I guess, would be the. And then, of course, you know, Patty Hearst being kidnapped in the middle of it, and uh, you know, <laughs> the New World Liberation Front. One of my first stories, the Chronicle, if you just one minute was there was a. Series of bombings this would have been 1977-78 by a weird underground group called the NWLF, the New World Liberation Front, and they had blown up PG & E substations and a couple of other things. and they had threatened to blow up the opening of the uh, opera. And the opera opening in San Francisco is this huge social event of the season, and the Chronicle, you know, had like 10 reporters on it, you know, covering what everybody was wearing and what the music was and who was conducting. It was, it's just a big social thing. So I was, uh, working nights. I was just, a, uh, probably there a couple of months. And so they needed somebody to go stand in the, uh, back of the opera house in case there was a bomb <laughs> 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 and, 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 call in. And they figured I was the most, uh. You know, I, <laughs> they, they, they could do best without me so that I was dispatched to do that.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, it sounds like you, uh, you've you done so much and you're able to bring that to this this community. So I appreciate you uh, having uh, well, taken the time. to
1: Thanks for having me. I All appreciate right. it and good luck with the venture.
0: All right. Thanks, Jerry.